Well, it's good to um, see everybody here. Hopefully um, you made it safe through the, the storm. Nothing too bad happened. I know a few of us may have experienced some flooding, um, you know, in our basements and so on and so forth. But um, I think we ought to be thankful that for the most part we made it through. But um, so uh, if, if you've been with us for the past couple months, We've been talking, remember, about what it meant to be like a salt and, and light, and, and then um, we moved into understanding um, how we as Christians uh, live in our culture today and that our identity is dual, right? Uh, we, we are citizens of God's kingdom, but at the same time, we're citizens of our country, and that duality makes things complicated it's not that simple in trying to figure out and navigate some of the things that our current culture is thinking about and going through, and it creates a lot of tension. It can create a lot of problems. And, and I think what we wanted to do go for going forward is to kind of look at some of the thought process and some of the thinking of, of, our, of our country, of our world, some things that maybe you and I, we've taken on but don't even realize, and to kind of see, well, what does that look like against a Christian background? And, but before we do that... Um, I just couldn't leave this understanding of, of, of being cultural, but at the same time counterculture. I just, I just couldn't leave this idea of being, you know, dual in our identity without actually talking about this one, one thing. And it's a reminder for many of us. Let me ask you a question. Um, why do you come to church? I mean, I know the answer, well, you know, get some Jesus, you know, uh, you know, uh, because that's what Christians do. But think about it. It's a good question to ask once in a while. Why uh, are we coming to church? Why do you come to church? And the answer might be simple, but sometimes we need to remind ourselves. Some of us, we might be coming to church because, you know, we're, we're curious. And uh, we've got questions about God and, and life and, and so on and so forth. And maybe you're looking for that. Others of us, maybe, you know, um, you're looking for a community. You know, you're looking for people and fellowship, and um, you're also a person of faith. And so maybe that's why you want to come to church, uh, to meet people, uh, to meet fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, to engage with them. Others of us, maybe you've been going to church for, for like as long as you can remember, and you kind of forgot, you know, why, why you go to church. It's sort of automatic, you know. You say, well, it's Sunday. i got to get ready. i got to go to church. And... And uh, it's your culture now, right? It, it's, it's part of who you are. It's how you grew up. And that's why we, we go to church. Um, and then others of you, you know, you're more theologically correct. You're more biblical. And so, we, well, it's the Sabbath. It's the Lord's day. And, and therefore, as a person of faith, we, we come to worship him. And that's why I'm here. And, you know, they're not to say that any of those reasons are, are, are wrong in and of themselves. But I really want us to think about... Um, Again, that question, because that's what we're talking about. Hebrews, uh, especially in chapter 11, it's one of the most difficult books in the Bible to, to understand. If you're going to read the Bible for the first time and study the book, um, Hebrews is probably not the place you want to start. It, it, it's, it's deep, it's hard, it's, 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 a, it's, it's complicated, and, and so there's a lot of things here. And in our passage today, I think he's telling us why we come to church. He's basically telling the people why they ought to go to church. And he's writing to a people that have been living in the world for so long, and they're kind of tempted to just, you know, stop, right? They're, they're kind of tempted to just, you know, kind of give up on their faith. They've been doing it for so long. They've been persevering for so long. And, and um, 
Some of them kind of just gave up. And so Hebrews is writing to a people to encourage them to persevere. And I think in our passage today, I think that's what he's saying. He says, don't forget to go to church. But why? I mean, what's the reason? And I got just, again, like I usually do, just three things to think about. There's go and stop. I'm not, I'm not talking about the Korean card game, go stop, right? But there's go and stop, all right? The second thing is there's stop and go, okay? There's go and then stop. But the second is there's stop and then go. And then, you know, I'll talk about not only how that's just cultural, but how it's also countercultural. And I think what Hebrews does is it tells us this. Um, one sociologist says this, in our country today, in our culture today, we have what we call the hurry disease. That many of us who are living today, we are always in a hurry. We are in a busy society, right? You are busy. I'm busy. And we always seem to be pressed for time, whether it's for work or whether it's for or play or whether it's for friendships or family or whatever the case. We are always on the go. Do you ever think about this? Right? We're always on our phones. We're always talking as we move. We like fast food sometimes. Sometimes we have to eat on the run. We prefer drive-through ATMs. We like overnight deliveries, right? One-hour photos, 10-minute oil changes. We are engaged with instant messaging because it's instant. We hate being slowed down. We hate bad traffic. We don't really stop at stop signs all the time. And we are frustrated waiting in line at the grocery store, the bank, the post office, or any government office. We get frustrated with ourselves. We get frustrated with people. It gets us anxious. I mean, you're standing in line. You know, there's an old lady, 90 years old, just taking so much time getting her credit card out to pay for the groceries. And you're thinking, what in the world? Right? It's just your... And it's just an old lady. But you're frustrated with this. We are people who love multitasking. And if you're younger today, if you're a teenager or a little older, you're great at multitasking. You, you can eat. You can listen and surf your phone. You can answer emails, play a computer game, do your laundry and your homework all at the same time. Right? We always have to be doing something, whether it's reading or watching or listening. It's hard for some of us to just sit still, and there's always noise in our background. There's the music, there's the TV, there's conversation, but there's never silence. Thomas Kelly, a Quaker, once has this famous quote. He says this, quote, people nowadays take time far more seriously than eternity. People nowadays take time far more seriously than eternity. We live in a fast-paced, busy kind of society and culture. And I'm not saying that being busy or being fast-paced is in itself wrong. It's not wrong. It's not necessarily sinful. But you ever consider that maybe God, in his wisdom, doesn't always want you to be so busy. Because there are four, four things, at least three or four things that I'll, I'll explain or I want to tell you that might arise, problems, if you're a hurrying kind of person. If you're always in a rush, if you're always busy, if you are always got to do something, number one, one problem could be people are an interruption. 
being a hurried and fast-paced, busy person hinders love. And people get in the way. I've got a place to go. I've got things to do. And so move. Right? And the thing about love is this. It always takes time. And time is the one thing that busy and hurried people don't have. A life of hurry doesn't give time to relationships. That could be a problem. The second thing, if you're a hurry kind of person, a problem that might arise is this. It hinders meditation on greater things, including God. You know, I find that when I'm really busy or I've got a to-do list, uh, prayer is not the first thing I do. If I'm feeling busy, it's, it's hard to think about God. It's hard to think about God, and it's even harder to think about praying. Uh, I'm much more prone to think about, well, I've got to do this. I've got to get up, and I've got, I've got to start doing this, right? We live in the urgency of the moment, the deadlines of the day, the tight schedule, the long to-do list. And it's like our life is this. It's go, 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 and only until you finish, then stop. And when you stop, it's not like you're just resting or, or just taking a break. Sometimes you're just stopping because you just can't go anymore. Because we burned out, because we crashed, because, because we have no more strength left. And a third problem that we see or that could be a problem when we're hurried like this is that being busy and hurried people can become an idol. It become an idolatry. Our source of significance and purpose and meaning doesn't come from God, but it comes from what we can get done in the day. I mean, you know how that feels. I've got all this to do in the morning, and at the end of the day, I did all day. It's been a good day. I feel good. One sociologist says this, quote, The truth is, as much as we complain about it, we are drawn to hurry because it makes us feel important. One of the great obstacles, he says, is this. One of the great obstacles to extended solitude is that frequently being and doing nothing feels like a waste of time. And this might be because we are conditioned to feel that our existence is justified only when we are doing something. End quote. Being busy, being productive, you know, doing all we can do in one place can become an idol. It's what we worship. Why? Because it can also kind of make us feel important. It makes us significant. Think about it. What's left when you don't have your busy meetings, when you don't have any more appointments, when you don't have anything to study, when you don't have any more accomplishments, any more hobbies to do, what do you have left? And I'm going to guess that my, many of us, we might feel a little empty, a little less fulfilled, a little less significant, and that you feel like you're wasting time. You know, my kids just took off to college. One of them came back. I don't know why she came back, but, you know, so we're, we're going through this uh, empty nester state. It's, it, was like, it was like, okay, we got two kids, and, and then also the next day, we got no kids, right? And the thing is, they're only like 48 minutes away, right? So we could always go to, I, I went there three times already. Uh, so, you know, and, and so, you know, but it's, it's not the same, you know, and, and, I, and, I, and I feel, I, I wonder if my parents felt the same way when I left and I went out of state, and those of us who have kids, uh, 
and, and maybe a few of us even closer than others, we're going to hit that moment. And, and in the beginning, before they left, I was like, dude, I cannot wait till they go. Right? I'm tired of driving them around. I'm tired of like getting on their case to clean up. I'm tired of getting on their case to do their homework. It's just, it's just stressful. You know, they don't like to listen. I don't see them anyway because they're always out with their friends. They need to go and start their life. You know, that's honestly how I felt. And then the next day when they were gone and we came home and I came home, this is what I felt. Empty. I got nothing to do. I spent 18 years, 19 years of my life talking to these kids, getting on them, and now all of a sudden there's no one to talk to except for my wife. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, right? But it, it was weird. It just felt, I mean, it's not that I missed them. I mean, I do miss them, but it, it was just, I, I, you know, I didn't know what else to do. There was, you know, I was just all alone. Feeling a little empty, maybe the purpose I had is no longer there. Because I was so busy with the children. Let me suggest this. Sometimes, not all the time, but maybe the reason why some of us are so busy and always having so much to do, people to meet, places to go, is because we're afraid that if we had nothing to do, if the noise in our lives ever quieted down, we'd be afraid to find out how lonely or how insignificant we might really feel. And that can be a problem. Because if our significance and purpose and worth is, is found in being busy with the everyday, even with the legitimate everyday, what happens is it deadens my desire for God. Because one reason why I don't desire more for God is because I'm so busy finding my purpose and meaning in people around me, in the things I need to do, and the things around us. But that's the way the world works, right? That's, that's, that's how we work. It's go first. Go, and then we stop. Do this, do this, do this. Get this done, and then you can rest. You know, uh, you know live like this. Enjoy, play, 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 and then we can stop, right? Think about this. Even if you start a new job, you can't go into the office one day and the first day of your work and say, hey, I need a vacation. I need to rest. Re no, you've got to earn it. You've got to work first. You've got to go and work and work and work, and then you can rest. That's the principle of our world. And to be honest, it was also the principle in the Bible. I mean, you see it from Genesis chapter 1, and we're getting to Hebrews, but just follow me. You see it in Genesis chapter 1. God was the most productive guy that ever existed in the universe. He, he, he got the most accomplished. I mean, he had eternity, but he created the world in six days. Right? That, that's pretty efficient, right? He worked six, and then he what? Rested. He stopped one, and he enters into his rest. That rest is uh, a metaphor for basically, you know, heaven. But the Bible calls that Sabbath. Do you know what Sabbath means in Hebrew? Stop. So God, just like everyone else in the beginning, work, 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 get this done, get this done. Six days, do it, and then on the seventh, stop. He creates Adam, and he wants Adam to share that rest with him. 
but he's got to follow God's footsteps. Work, work, do six days. And then on the seventh, you can rest. Make dominion of all things, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Take care and obey everything I do. You've got to do this. And if you do this, then you can stop. And what happens is he doesn't do it. And so he can't get into God's rest. And so what happens, he gets kicked out. And, and so now he's always working. Right? You go and read in the Bible, keep reading, and you read about Israel. And it's the same principle. It's work first, and then you can take a break, right? Under Moses, we're told in our passage in verse 5, and he's quoting Psalm 95. In the passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. And in our passage, Hebrews is talking about Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, right? And while they were there, they were saying, go, go, go. And then once we get to Canaan, you can stop, right? Work, be faithful, listen to me, do everything that you're supposed to do. Obey me, and then you can rest. But they didn't. They kind of gave up a lot of them. They disobeyed. And Hebrews tells us, God says, you can't enter my rest. Later, Joshua comes and he brings them into Canaan, right? But the problem was, in verse 8 of our passage, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. In other words, they got to Canaan, right? And even though Joshua gave them some relief that they were able to rest for a little while in Canaan, it wasn't the final place that they were to stop at. How do we know? Because God spoke of another day. And so while they were living in Canaan, they were like, you got to keep going. you got to keep working. I know we got to Canaan, but don't stop. Keep obeying. Keep looking at the commandments. Keep making sacrifices. And then one day you can rest. So work six, okay? Work six and the seventh day rest. But they failed. We can't do this anymore. We're here in Canaan. We made it. We don't need to do this anymore. And so they, they gave up. They went their own ways. And they got kicked out. So that's the principle we see in the Bible, just like in the world. Go, then stop. Work first, then you can rest. Obey, then you can live. Six days work, then last day you can rest. And that day of rest reminds you, you got to keep working six more days until one day you'll earn your way into God's final rest okay now here's the question if you're following me why in the world do we worship on sunday and not saturday why in the world do we worship on the first day of the week and not on the seventh day of the week according to our calendar just like god did in the old testament just like Everyone else did, just like Adam did and Israel did. Just like the Jews do today, they go to synagogue on Saturday. Why? Because it's the seventh day. It's the end of the week after work. Right? They work first, go, go, and then stop. Work first and then rest. And much of the world is the same way. Then why do Christians worship on the first day of the week and not on the seventh day? Why do we come to church on Sunday? And if you keep reading the Bible and you read about this person, Jesus Christ, they called him someone like Adam, the last Adam. They called him the true Israelite. 
But basically, he was the most productive man on the planet. And when he lived in this world, he went, he go and go and go, and he worked and he obeyed, and he did everything that God could ask him to do. He lived and he went all the way to the cross. But unlike the rest, unlike Adam and Joshua and Moses and Israel, unlike the rest, on that cross, John chapter 19, he says, it is finished. The work is done. His work, his obedience. For us, he earns what God wants to give for us. The final rest that Adam, that Moses, that Joshua, Israel, and us, that we fail to produce. The principle of the world and the principle of even in the Old Testament was you do this, then you get to live. Do this and live. Do this and live. But they didn't. So here comes Jesus and he did this. So that we could live. Not Adam, not Moses, not Joshua, not Israel, but Jesus. And that's why when you read Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I did it. Listen to me carefully, okay? We worship not on the seventh day, but on the first day of the week now. The world says, go first, then you can stop. The church says, stop first, then go. We rest first before we even lift a finger to do any more work or activity Monday through Saturday. That's different. And I know that you and I, we are busy people. And I'm betting that there's some people right now thinking of what you've got to do right after service is over. Because, you know, tomorrow is the work week and you've got to cram in everything you can before Monday begins. And that's how it is out there in the world. You go, go, go. You work first. You do this. You, you, you get as much as you can. And then you can stop and rest later. But this is why Sunday worship is so important. Not because it's just a Christian thing to do. In fact, it might be one of the most counter-cultural things you can do. Because the change of day from Saturday to Sunday, from the last day of the week to the first day of the week, is proof that at least before God, all the work and all the stuff that's necessary has been already completed for us in Jesus Christ. We worship on the first day of the week because it reminds us that in a work-oriented society, in what we call a meritocracy, where you're judged by what you do and how much you earn, that we, on Sunday we are reminded our merit, our reward, our rest is secured already. It is finished. In Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? Tomorrow you got to go to work. And you got to get back into the world and do everything that you got to do. But Sunday you're reminded. We don't have to strive and labor and become heavy burden in order to enjoy God. We don't go and work first in order to stop and rest. It's the opposite. In Jesus Christ, we stop 
first. We rest first in what God has done for us. We are reminded of what Jesus has already done for us, given us. That's the indicative. And then we go. And then we go out into the world. And then we serve the Lord. How? By serving our families, our children, the people at work, and everyone else. That's the imperative. Now let me explain and give you a few examples why worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week, is so important. How also it's a little bit counterculture as well. Because think about it. Sabbath means stop. Okay? Now what does that mean? To stop, to rest, it means a few things. First, when you stop and rest, basically it means no more self-effort. Okay? You know what that means? There's no more trying to please God just by your effort to earn his favors. When you stop and you rest, you are stopping from all legalistic activity, right? You, you, when, you, when you come to church on Sunday and you stop, you're stopping from trying to save face all the time. You're stopping from trying to earn brownie points from people all the time. You're stopping, you're stopping from trying to please other people all the time and from God. And in a world where what people think about us can matter just a little too much and be so exhausting, always putting our best foot forward, Sunday reminds you, just be who you are. I already know. Rest. Take a break from that. Rest in my grace. The second thing about Sunday is this. When you rest, when you stop, it's also a mental state. When you're able to rest, it means that you're free from concerns and worries and anxieties. And some of you, I know you have concerns and worries right now. Even in this following week, you're worried about family. You're worried about your children. You're worried about your parents. You're worried about your work. And you've got to think, how am I going to do all this? And if I don't do this, if I fail, what's my life going to be like? And you're filled with worry and anxiety. Um, even when you're not working, you're still working because your brain is working. You know, like when you take too much caffeine before you go to sleep and and, and, and then all these random thoughts just won't stop. It just won't stop. You're thinking about, like, your friend back in second grade and, like, wondering why he didn't like you, right? And it's just bugging you. It's pounding your brain. So to rest, then, means to be free from whatever bugs you, whatever causes you to worry. To rest and to stop, in this sense, means to be at peace. God's rest means being at peace with God. And we do this at the first day of the week. Trusting, reminding ourselves, whatever we have to do this following week, that God is still in control. That he's in it for our good. And that means we're free from things that bug us because he either is going to remove them from us or he's going to change those things for our good. So stop and rest. And the third thing, the third benefit of Sunday worship is this. When something is at rest, you know what that means? It also means it's not moving. It's fixed. It's settled. It's not shifting around. It's at rest, right? It's stable. And when you come to church on Sunday, you are reminded to rest in him, which means that your position, your relationship to God is also fixed. It's stable. It doesn't move. It's not changing. God is not a guy that says, you know what, I like you yesterday, but I'll hate you the next because of what you did over the weekend. You know, it's like if you're dating and you're not quite committed yet, but you're still dating and you're wondering, like you got into an argument and then you go home and you're wondering, will he still like me tomorrow? 
Or, well, did I do enough for her? God doesn't say that. The world says that. The world could change like that. One minute they love you, the next minute they hate you. But God's not like that. He doesn't say, well, I liked you yesterday, but I don't like you that much today. What he says and what we are to be reminded on Sundays is, you're my son. You're my daughter. And you are positionally righteous in my eyes because of what Jesus has done for you. That's not going to change. It's not going to move. It's fixed. And that means that you can have absolute security, absolute trust, absolute confidence in my care that I have charge of your life. You can lean on me and be sure that I will never topple over you. Do you see why author of Hebrews is trying to tell these people to keep the Sabbath? To keep striving for the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath. Jesus' wrath, our Sunday worship, Sabbath, is not just a break from your weekly work. And it's not just some Christian thing that we should do because we're Christian. It's also a break from the world. It's a break from that, am I productive enough? Am I good enough? Am I lovable enough? Am I safe enough? Am I thin enough? Am I rich enough? Am I strong enough? Did I do enough? That worthy system that we seem to always live under when we're living in the world like everyone else in the daily grind. Some of you might feel like you only have two speeds, go and stop. But in the church, on any given Sunday, you are reminded to stop first and then go. To stop everything that sometimes we're so consumed with out there in the world. Not just work, but everything else out there in the culture, as good as it could be. We are reminded on a Sunday to stop and consider who you are, where you belong. And what you have already received in God before you go back out there and engage with everything else. You know, I know many of us and many people out there think that going to church on a Sunday is like a religiously cultural thing to do. But depending on how you think about it, it's religiously countercultural. Because think about it. To come to church on Sunday means you give up everything else you could be doing with this time. Right? If you've got to come to church, it means you've got to give up something that you could be doing. And that's what we call this worship because it's an act of sacrifice to do that. It takes faith to come to Sunday church and recognize that as we do this, we recognize ultimately that we don't live in the world like everybody else. That we're not to be like everybody else, striving to build lasting homes here and now. When we keep the Sabbath, when we stop, when we press the pause button, it says to the world that we don't pursue the world the way the world does. Investing all our energy and all our hopes just in this life. Because we are sojourners and pilgrims on the way to a better home. And we need that reminder every week. We need that reminder at least once a week. Who we are, where we're headed, where we belong. In the beginning, uh, before the crazy week begins in this crazy world. You know, Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what he's saying, I think, is this. 
coming to church, keeping the Sabbath, is not something you have to do. It's something you need to do. It's made for you, for your benefit. Sabbath was made for you. You weren't made for the Sabbath. You need this rest. You need this time. So rest. Stop. Knowing that you are justified, not because of your busyness or your productivity, but by grace through faith. Rest in the knowledge of how much God loves you as you are. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. Take a break. Stop. And just for a moment, rest in the one who came into this world to lift our significance away from what we did, from what we could do, and what we want to do, to what he has done for us. Rest in this. Not because you should, but because you can. Because Matthew chapter 11, Jesus invites you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let's pray.